On today's episode of the Marketing Expedition podcast, we get to speak with Carrie Severson. She's the CEO of the Unapologetic Voice House, an independent publishing agency, and she's been in the storytelling space for more than 20 years. And after being published by an independent publisher herself, she spent five years pitching literary agents in the hopes of being published traditionally. She desperately wanted that traditional publishing deal, but after a hundred rejections from literary agents, she launched the company that could help women just like her, unapologetic in their story and looking for support. Now she has the opportunity to walk the journey of developmental editing, publishing, and mentoring aspiring female authors throughout the world. After spending two decades in the storytelling world, she knows how to get a great book out in the marketplace. And we talk about the checklist of all things that you need in order to publish and promote your book. We talk about it from start to finish. So if you're in for a treat and take some notes, definitely, or look at the show notes. We've got some things in there for you, including a checklist that we're putting together for you uh, so that you can download and receive the checklist of all the things that you need to think about while you're promoting your book uh, that I know you need to write, right? Every one of us has a book in our head, in our mind. And if you say it, like she says, you'll maybe want to do it. But before we get to her interview, uh, I have a marketing essentials moment to talk to you about and then a sponsor post. So let's see, first of all, let's talk about our marketing essentials moment, the essentials that you need in order to go on your marketing journey. And one of the things that I wanted to share today is about a marketing audit. Is your marketing working? Do you have a plan? Do you have goals? Have you created KPIs, kept promise indicators or key performance indicators? Do you know if what the tactics that you're taking are actually producing an ROI on your marketing investments? And so things to think about, like a lot of times people will have a plan, but maybe they need to audit what's going on, just like an audit would do for, a, you know, if a CPA firm was to come audit your financial books, we can do a marketing audit. We can take a look at everything that you've been doing, what's working, what's not working. If you need to hone in and narrow and focus on who it is that you're wanting to attract most in your business, auditing that process, looking at all of the different parts and pieces, establishing and defining and remembering what your brand experience is and what you want people to take it and, and be a part of it, right? And so we do this process where we go through a marketing audit together. We look at the needs. We look at all of the things that you're doing, what to stop, start, keep, creating a division of duties, who's good at what and who should be doing what. And maybe there's skill sets that you're not even tapping into that you have in your own team. Or maybe you need to utilize another team to help you augment the things that you're doing to get done. And if there's some things that you need to start doing that you've wanted to do, but just don't either have the time or the talent to do it, those are some things that we can look at and we review and we research and we ideate and we plan and we go through all of these things to understand where you're at in your marketing and how to move your marketing forward. Now, if you can't afford somebody to do a marketing audit with you, an agency to do that with you, there are some things that you can do to take a look at your own marketing efforts. What's working? What's not working? Why? And ask yourself, what is it that is working? And what do I want to replicate and do more of? What do I need to tweak? Or what do I just need to stop doing and omit from the plan altogether? It's hard to do sometimes because maybe it's something you've always done. But just because you've always done it doesn't mean that it'll continue to work in the future. What got you here won't get you there, right? And so thinking about auditing your marketing 
efforts, looking at your personas, looking at the budget, looking at the efficiencies or inefficiencies in your marketing plan and the, the tech stack that you're using, you know, all the software programs that you may, uh, maybe can they tie together? Can they, you know, work with each other? Can they be zapped together? What kind of things are you doing that can help you move your marketing forward and build your brand and your bottom line? Now, if you want to move forward and have a third-party opinion, come in and take a look at everything that you're doing. You can go to peppershock.com slash audit and check out the page, see what it has to say, how we go through the process, what we do. There's a little bit of homework to do, uh, but you can also just book and, and book your time and make it happen. So peppershock.com slash audit. And uh, without further ado, let me get into uh, what our sponsor of the week is, and it is Schedule Once. So we are a affiliate of Schedule Once, and it's what our people use to book time onto my calendar. They use it to book our podcast interviews. It is a program that I uh, love so much that we decided to become agents of it, really. <laughs> and we can help set up the calendar flow and go for you. If you are wanting to automate your process, I say automate what you hate, <laughs> measure what you treasure and automate what you hate, right? <laughs> and dump what you don't. So one of the things that we do is we automate our scheduling process and you can even check it out with what we do for mine. It's peppershock.com slash book dash Ray. If you want to find 15 minutes on my calendar and talk about your marketing journey, uh, go book and go look at peppershock.com slash book dash Ray, then you can also go to peppershock.com slash offers and look at the schedule once offer, get the offer. It uh, gives us a little, because of, we're brokering it, you can get a perk because you're using our link. So peppershock.com slash offers, there's other offers on there too, but uh, scheduling, right? It's just been so much nicer to be able to rely on people being able to book the time that works best for them and it lands on your calendar. It, you can connect Zoom with it and create a Zoom meeting. Uh, you can you know, have things automated. You can have questions answered uh, that automatically send or whatever the case might be, but um, go to peppershop.com slash offers and you can see what it can do for you. All right, now let's get into this interview on how to promote your book with Carrie. Welcome to Peppershock Media's Marketing Expedition Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in marketing and advertising. Now, here's your host, Bray Allen. Welcome to the Marketing Expedition Podcast. I'm your host, Ray Allen. I'm the president and CEO of Peppershock Media and the founder of the Marketing Expedition community. And today's guest, Carrie uh, Severson, she's the CEO of Unapologetic Voice House. And today we're going to talk about how to promote your book, right, Carrie? Yes, very excited. Yeah. And, and so Carrie, just, um, you know, because of the fact that you've had a publishing company and you do what you do, you've been an independent publisher, uh, you definitely have a lot of wisdoms to give and things that we can share with those who are wanting to promote a book or thinking about writing a book and promoting it. So let's just get started. What are some things that you think about when you tell somebody who's never published a book before and promoted a book before. Let's just get right into it. What are some, what are the top things that you think of right away that they need to know? As far as promoting the book goes, I would say um, advanced readers um, that can help uh, give you testimonials about it that you might be able to lean on to help you market it through social media channels. 
definitely um, a book trailer and a website. I would say those three things would be great tools to have. A book trailer gives you an opportunity to um, share something meaningful on your Amazon author page, all over so your social media channels, um, on your actual website. The website gives you an opportunity to collect leads, maybe do a pre-sale, um, and then those people that you're partnering with with your advanced readership can help you drive traffic to your website or with your book trailer. Those three things I think would give you um, a good launch point for a good strategy. And then from there, you can build on top of it. And I'm going to add to that too, with the book trailer, we've done lots of book trailers for a lot of authors in our studio and in where we record about them, about the author. And then people have this believability, right? The authenticity of the author shines through in those recordings. And, and then you get to learn about the author and where they were coming from and why they wrote the book and what, you know, what the book is even about, right? And and so those book trailers are really helpful in a lot of different places too, not just the Amazon, uh, you know, website, but on their social media. And if, you know, they happen to have uh, publicity or, you know, press pick it up, then they have footage of them speaking and talking about it. And I don't know, how have you seen book trailers be used in, in other senses, not just on the, the Amazon website, but where else have you seen things like that happen? Well, um, so uh, it, we would promote the book um, through the Independent Book Publishing Association. They do like e-blast out to book reviewers. And if we have a trailer, rather than just doing a book cover, we'll do a trailer embedded in the blast that goes out. Oh, and then from there, it's um, sometimes the reviewers don't even have to ask for a copy of the book. They'll just pull the trailer and share that on if they feel aligned with the message and they want to get out to their audience. So, um, yeah, exactly right. Like if the we had one author, Anna Brooks, with um, her book is called Stripped Down, Hover Last Blood, Me Home. She did the voiceover on her actual trailer. And when that was a longer one. That was closer to two minutes. And um, sound bites from that were shared as memes and graphic uh -huh. all over the place. That was really nice. Yeah. And then like uh, re-uploaded consistently on Instagram and um, shared, she uploaded it to YouTube and then it was shared there too. So, right. No, that's a great idea, especially if you can get quotable moments from what you're doing in the interviews with the author and can share that out there. I think that's a, a fabulous way. Now, do you recommend that people do book trailers before the book is launched? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and what do you recommend happening kind of like a timeline, you know, before you even launch the book, right? So, so back, let's back up, like, you know, we're, we're writing the book, or maybe you, you start even before you write, right? You have a cover, just let's, let's kind of walk through the timeline of okay. what it would take to, to launch and promote that book. Okay. So um, I start from the beginning. So you have a book, let's say that you um, are still on your first draft, but you feel pretty confident about it. Um, a copy editor is the first thing that you will want to find. And sometimes that person is going to be different than your proofreader. I love having more than one pair of eyes on it at this. Um, Absolutely. Sometimes the teams that I work with, I have one team that I, I love to work with that. Uh, they're like retired. They're not retired, but they, they went through the New York city publishing house um, editorial they just jumped around from house to house. So they have that experience where these ladies are 
authors up and they will put your book through the ringer. And I want that from an editorial team. Right. So I, I like, depending on two people to, to look at it, your cover designer should be someone that uh, feels your vibe and wants to wants to create something aligned with you. But at the same time, I want somebody who um, can say, hey, I get where you're going with it, but it's not aligned or it's not fitting. Or um, I think we should kind of look at this instead. I want someone that actually knows what they're doing, knows the book industry. And so I don't, I don't just recommend graphic designers. I recommend somebody with book experience because you really do want somebody that understands um, flatness versus color and things like that, you know? Yeah, what, so what does make a really good book cover? What, what kind of elements are included? What do you need to think about when you have a book cover? Oh my goodness. So I think it varies depending on genre. So um, if it's a if it's a fiction book, you really do want characters on the cover, right? You want silhouettes or um, the romance industry, for example. It's not just like yeah, right. <laughs> it's very, you know exactly when you pick up a book cover like that. Sci-fi. Um, I you want that sort of you do want a character on it for nonfiction. Um, it less is actually more, right? So, um, if you look at the best-selling mm, nonfiction books, it's uh, bold colors, it's big fonts, and then it comes down to a matter of playing with the actual shade, um, which does get really tricky. So, it's if you're using bright colors and you try to dull it in any way, it will look different on a matte cover versus a glossy cover. Um, if you're doing hard cover, you really want to think of um, uh, your book jacket and certain fonts look better there than not. So again, going back to somebody who's done this time and time and time again and can lend that expertise versus you driving the ship here. And, right, and the spine, right? The spine yeah. of the book is really important too. And like how thick it is and how many pages so that you can have that spine real estate on the shelf, right? Let's talk about the spine. <laughs> I love it. So um, I, yeah, you definitely want a full title and your subtitle and your name on there. Um, the publishing house itself isn't important on the spine, but your name full title and subtitle. And a lot of times people forget about the subtitle and, or even the subtitle, sometimes I don't see showing up on covers. It's just like eh, in your description. So be sure to pull the, the, um, the subtitle on there too. I like to say like a billboard five words or less, right. Yeah. Is, is powerful and impactful because if you get too wordy, right. It's, it's, people are going to dismiss it because it's just too much, right. To, to quickly glance at a shelf. And I mean, I don't know, what are your thoughts about length of title? Do you, do you feel like there's oh, yeah. uh, some importance to that? I love short titles. Long titles are really hard. Long subtitles are even harder. That being said, um, I understand you can't, condense it sometimes you know it is a subtitle is like five words or less five words or they're hard subtitles are so hard I think the um they're important because you get into this game of there's only so many titles left undiscovered <laughs> yes right and so um even putting the the subtitle a memoir after your title 
gives you the freedom to be able to use the title. So subtitles are very important. Shorter titles are important. And if you can condense your subtitle to five words or less, you're golden. But um, I've seen subtitles where I'm like, I can't remember this. Right. And then on the back, right, that's usually where you include your scan or, you know, the, what's it called? The bar scan thing. The bar code, you know. the ISBN. Yep. <clears throat> so if you're going to self-publish and you're going to do this on your own, um, you, you need an ISBN number for every different format of the book. You need a barcode for your physical book. If it's a, um, I think if, if it's a hardcover and a paperback, I think you need two barcodes. Um, we typically just do paperback. Um, the thing that I, a lot of people forget about is the audiobook and the publishing process for the audiobook are so different than anything else. Um, and so you want, um, you'll want to grab, you don't need a barcode for an audiobook, but you'll, you'll need a new ISBN number. But yeah, there's so many things to do. And then the way that you market a paperback versus an audiobook are going to be different too. Mm-hmm. And we talked a lot when we were on Clubhouse. In fact, that's how we met. We talked about the importance of hiring an actor to do your audio recording as opposed to the author doing it, right? Because authors maybe aren't professional voiceover talent, right? And and so what do you think the importance of having an actual professional voiceover talent versus an author reading their own? I understand the emotional attachment to a book and having an author read it themselves to the author feels uber important. Nobody else can get this right. <laughs> I get it. I totally get it. I'm an author. I'm a writer before I'm yeah. an entrepreneur or a publisher. I'm a writer. But when you hear the voices that are being represented, like Emmy award-winning voiceover actors, right? this is their game. This is what they do. This is their wheelhouse. Yeah. They have in their professional and the tonality and Everything. the delivery, you know, and then they can, they can do it in one or two takes. Whereas the author sometimes takes like 10 and then you yeah. have, you know, your poor editor is trying to edit all this together. And, and, you know, if it's a professional, it's done, you know, faster, it's done better, you know, all of those things in your editor, you don't have as much editing time. So it actually ends up kind of maybe even the price weighs itself out. Right. So, um, I highly recommend using, voiceover actors who are award-winning actors that you know you can trust that have a reputation mm-hmm. um, and know each other. And so I found somebody on, I actually was introduced to award-winning team through a networking group that I was a part of. It was just one of these things where somebody knew somebody else and before you knew it, I was being connected. Right. And um, it's a woman. And when I needed a male voice, I went to her and I was like, hey, who can you recommend? Right. Or if you take on the female voice of this romance book, do you got, do you know, a male voice? And she opened the door to like five or six other individuals. Um, it's a small, and, and you can do, you can do that where they, they, you know, you have, a where they can try and they, they read to you, they do readings, you know, not all of it, but just some of it. So you can hear and test out what they're going to say and how they're going to say it. Right. And, and so those are important to then be able to, you know, select and choose. So did you get like, uh, you know, audition tapes or uh, tapes, you know, that's what they used to call them. Okay. Audition tapes, but whatever you call them now, demo, uh, sub- digital submissions. <laughs> Um, so yes. Yeah. So at first when you, um, you'll be able to hear their samples and then you'll give them like a chapter and even before you get into a contract or an agreement, if they read, they're going to read back how they would, how they would perform this piece. It's the performance to them. How would you perform this? 
and they'll read a couple of pages. And if you agree on the style, the tone of it, the inflection, then you kind of move in to an agreement and a contract and it gets done. And um, so yeah, in terms of the checklist of what you need if you are looking at an audiobook, having a professional team, uh, this is some for a uh, voiceover, this is something you want. As soon as you have a final manuscript, you'll want to find your, your audio team because they work as far out as, and sometimes even further out. So, uh, but you need a finished product in order to book them. Right. So it is in the, the scope of things. If you, when you look at releasing um, these days, pr uh, paperback need eight weeks in pre-sale, audio, um, audiobooks and eBooks need five weeks in pre-sale. We're not yet able to release all of them at the same time because of not being able to get an audio team on our schedule, which I think is okay. You know, we release a, a paperback and an ebook at the same time. And then like two months later, we'll release an audiobook, and that's just the way it's going right now. But, um, well, that seems like it leads and lends itself well, because then the people who are interested in, you know, a physical copy of the paperback versus, you know, an ebook and then listening to it audio. I mean, I've seen that before where it's released and sometimes I'll like, oh, I'm just going to wait for the audiobook, or, uh, you know, or, or if I know that an audiobook's coming, sometimes I'm just, you know, more in tune with listening as I am to yeah. being able to read. So I think there's something there for every audience member that likes to either read on screen or have a, you know, tangible physical book to open up or, you know, here. So I think that that definitely helps. And like you said, you're going to market to each of those differently than what you would, you know, in, in, in different circumstances, because you're going to hit a different audience, I think. Yep. Yeah. So, um, we're doing a lot of podcasts right now. We're booking, um, there's so many different services right now to help you get booked through podcasts. So we are doing that in terms of a marketing campaign for a lot of our books and a lot of our authors. Um, and then, uh, and for, are you doing that pre-launch to the book or doing after launch for podcasts? We'll start pitching before. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. and then that's just something, you know, if, uh, you know, we have yearly anniversaries, we'll start it again or for, um, okay. Uh, celebrations, Mother's Day, Father's Day, graduation, International Happiness Day, Women's International Day, like any chance you get to find a hook, you just start pitching again. But, um, mm -hmm. for the paperback, you know, we do have the pull list. So our distribution is through a company called independent publishing group, and they do work with retailers, um, around the world and they do have a publicity team within the distribution company. And so I can tap them and ask for a hundred to 200 person deep list gotcha. on a specific genre. And so I will pitch prints as well. And whenever I pitch print for our authors, they want a physical copy. They, um, and so that's hard to do with the way that, um, COVID, COVID has changed the print cycle and it's hard to get out ahead of it because of social distancing and having to run these plans. Mm -hmm. um, we can start pitching in pre-sale and we can secure things, but then when they ask for an advanced copy and I still don't have one for like three weeks because because printing is not there. I mean, and it's not like you can just, you know, yeah. print it off on your printer and then, you know, send yeah. them a stapled copy. Right. I mean, you want to, you want to give them something that they're going to, 
want to promote and, and, and pitch and, and that type of thing, right? Yeah, so it is, it is hard, but um, we recently secured um, a phenomenal piece in Miss Magazine for Poetry, um, National Poetry Awareness Month, which was April. And uh, she was included in a roundup. Uh, the book is called Face Me, a Declaration. Um, and I found her on a, a list that I was able to pull. And so we do, um, we do recommend pitching as early as you can get and then just nourishing those relationships to secure. That does take you know, some time and energy. Let's talk about pre-sales and, and kind of the, the theory behind what it, what it means. I mean, you're pre-launched, you're, let's talk about pre-sales. Like what's the importance? How have you done it before? Um, you know, do you do it at a reduced rate because it's pre-sale? Let's just talk a little bit about what that would look like. So um, our, we were told through our distribution company never to launch and never to move into pre-sale in a discount never to do pre-sales for free um, or the 90, you know, the 99 cents or the 199 promo deals that you get to always start full price. And then um, after you go into, after your release date, if you are doing super well and Amazon automatically does put you into a sale, that's on them, but um, to start off in full price so that when you actually do release, you're not under you're not in the red. You want to start in the black. Good. Um, so we, that's something I do. Uh, I, I took that advice to heart and I think it works. I mean, all of our, you know, we, we just. Right. We, and I, you know, I say too, like, if you don't value it, they won't value it. Right. And so you can price your book at whatever value you want to put the value on, as long as you're making a little bit of money off of it and it's not, right. you know, costing you money. Right. And, and so, I mean, I think that, if you value the book because of all your, you know, energy that you've put towards it and, and people, you know, you promote it, right. You do all these things, you do all the steps that it needs to take and people will purchase it. But I do want to talk about pricing a little bit. I mean, because it, it is interesting to see the range of what people charge. And I want to understand why do you feel like there's such a range in, in how much people charge for their book? The price campaigns are so fascinating. I, because I think a lot of self-published authors feel like, and self-published specifically, when a book is mark, when a book is priced out of market, I know immediately it's a self-published author because nobody helped them recognize. Um, you value your book. I get it. You think this book is a twenty-dollar book, and you think you deserve all twenty dollars back to you. And when you get into the nitty-gritty of this, and you recognize, even as a self-published author, the retailer is going to take a cut and. The retailer takes the biggest cut, regardless of how you publish. Indie publishers, traditional publishers, self-publishers. The retailer is the king. They will get the biggest right. cut. Right. And that, I think, is why a lot of self-published authors automatically put their book at a higher price because they think they deserve more, which I understand. And then um, the ones that are marketed or priced under feel like uh, as long as this this book needs to get out far and wide. Everyone needs to read this book. And so I'm just going to put it at like three bucks. And then they don't realize that, okay, so the retailer is going to take half and then there, you have to actually print it. And now you're paying two bucks to have this thing bought. So it is, it's really hard, um, which is why I strongly recommend if you are going to self-publish 
um, you have to do so much research to make sure that, uh, you know, look at the look at the books that are within the first 50 best-selling books, you will see they're pretty much all priced at the same price point. Similarly, yeah, no, that's that's really good advice. And then we we had talked about in in uh, one of the clubhouse sessions that we had done about the different genres and then niching into the genres. And I feel like it was one of the topics was uh, you know the mental health space or the self help space, right? Uh, just just share a little bit about kind of the strategy behind why you would want to really niche yourself within the genre. When you look at self help specifically, it is the most saturated genre in the marketplace. Um, same thing with romance. Romance yeah. in general, there's like 50,000. Self-help, there's probably that many too. In order for you to be in that ranking of the bestseller um, on Amazon, which again sort of feeds out to all the other retailers, even when you look at this bestseller, like the international New York Times bestsellers, it's usually run by celebrities. Um, you know, past presidents um, that have millions and millions and millions of buys. Um, so if you come into the marketplace the same time that, you know, a former president launches a book, you're sort of shooting yourself in the foot right out of the gate. So give yourself a fighting chance and find a smaller genre that you can have um, a good bestseller, you know, a good book in. Good. You know, and I think that uh, even general in general and marketing in general, the more you can really niche and narrow and focus your audience, the easier it is to then promote to them because now you have such a defined audience and, and the person that's going to read that book, right? You want to define and kind of understand and empathize with them. Who is it that you want to read that book, right? And kind of thinking through that. And, and I think that's a part of the, the whole process too, to promote your book, right? To think about the types of people who you want to purchase your book. Let's talk a little bit about kind of empathizing with your audience and, and what it is that you recommend to, to people when they're thinking about promoting their book. Um, uh, let's see. So if I were to do it right now, I would think of um, live readings. I would think about doing um, uh, intimate, you know, like Zoom calls with yeah. um where I, I live Q and A's book clubs. Um, I love book clubs. It's really hard to find like a list of book clubs. I'm still looking for that, but uh, if you um, if you can find uh, a couple of book clubs to help promote your book, um, fantastic. Uh, I look at networking groups in terms of like we have this one we have one book that does really well among the hospice care community, and once you kind of get into um, a couple of offices, they start to share, you know, things like that. Um, niching down to the point of knowing that your reader is um, a stay-at-home mom or um, a mom of triplets. Mm -hmm. And, you know, knowing that if you have a couple or a couple dozen in that one category, um, encourage them to tell their friends. And so that sort of spreads. I love grassroots sort of campaigns. Mm -hmm. um, well, and I think Facebook groups have opened up the opportunity to um, being able to have like those book clubs. And I know it's always awesome when you can actually do a book club and you have the author 
right? You've read the book and now you have the author come and speak to your group. And then you can ask them questions about, well, why did you do this? Or what happened here? Or how come this happened? And, and, you know, you can kind of get intimate with the understanding of like where the author was at when they did this. And, and then you can get questions answered that you may not otherwise get answered if you aren't a part of this, you know, group or club. And, And of course, COVID has opened up the door to many, many, you know, book clubs and Facebook groups and networking kind of things, you know, and, and so I, I guess it's, it's kind of fun to be able to do that on the, on the flip side, to be a receiver of that, you know, and, and listen to the author and, and do that Q and a with them, just like, you know, a, a film director does it, you know, in a film, uh, in a, a film festival, right. They come and answer questions and all that. But, um, yeah, I, I feel like that's a good question. It seems like there's an opportunity too to get a list of book clubs that are out there ongoing, you know, and you could, you know, kind of go through that. <laughs> Um, I feel like that would be a good, you know, it's like list of PTAs or libraries. A lot of our authors do a lot with libraries. Um, but yeah, niching down and knowing your your target market to the point of they're, um, they're interested in yoga, they're interested in, you know, cooking classes, or they are the type of people that spend Saturdays in a bookstore and would be willing to come and see speak. Those are things that... Um, COVID kind of opened, did open the door for because um, bookshops specifically had to find a way to keep their audiences engaged. And so a lot of them did do virtual events. Now with um, that bookstore starting to open up again, um, I'm encouraging authors to go around to their local communities, the indie shops, um, to see what they could do. as a meet and greet or, you know, a live reading or a signing. So, right. Cause that used to be, that's what you would do to launch a book. You would have a book launch party at a location and you would have people come and maybe wine and dine and, you know, whatever, buy the books and you sign it or whatever. And, and yeah. So do you feel like because of COVID that we're going to still continue to see zoom launches or, you know, online launches more than we did before? Probably. I think it gives people an opportunity um, to do a, a number of uh, a number of things, particularly for ebooks. Like if you if you didn't buy a physical book, it doesn't make sense for you to go support the author at a physical location or if you're an audiobook listener. So the virtual events um, reached people where they are in their uh, consuming sort of practice. Mm-hmm. The, the live events are great for interaction but sometimes when it comes down to it at the end of the day it's the last thing you still want to do after spending so much energy doing all the things that we have to do in 2021 uh <laughs> yeah. the last thing you want to do at like six o'clock at night is go out so um i do think that will stay a steady practice of all the things that we want to put on a checklist before we start promoting our book or thinking about it, what else have we not covered yet? I mean, we've covered quite a bit, but is there anything else that comes to mind that we should talk about that you typically would do to help promote a book? You know, a marketing budget helps. Um, I think that's something that a lot of people forget where the launching of a book is one thing. Keeping the book sustained is another. And so... Um, the launch of a book is in this strategy where you reach as many people as you can to bring them back into your hub, which is a website or an Amazon author page or a Goodreads page or an Apple, Google, wherever it is, Target, Walmart, whatever, 
to give you reviews so that the next wave of people can come out to be like, oh, I want to jump on this. I want to jump on this train, you know? Um, and having, I would say like two or three rounds of, of understanding your marketing budget so that when you go out of the gate, you don't spend everything all at once that like, okay, so now it's three months later, how are we twisting this around so that we can have a second wave um, or even a third wave? So for an example, um, we have an anthology book coming out this, uh, this September in honor of the 20th anniversary of 9-11 and it's written by female vets. To have a book launch in September, you have to be in pre-sale in July. And so we have a pre-sale campaign and then we'll have a launch campaign and then Veterans Day is November and we'll have, we'll do another campaign in November. I know that upfront that a lot of our dollars have to be spent between July and November, which is a big stretch. Right. Um, and so figuring out how to maximize that um, is the key. And so in your promotional calendar, doing what you can to secure, um, using your book to secure one-on-one um, -on -one clients, speaking gigs, whatever it is you can to put dollars back into your marketing budget for your second and third wave, I think this is just an overall smart strategy. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and you're right, thinking about pre-sales, and I think you're going to come back to that too. It, it just with Amazon, there's so many, it seems like kind of stipulations that they make you follow and size guidelines and, and things like that and, and ways that you can promote and, and things like that. Let's talk a little bit about that, you know, as a self-publisher putting it on Amazon, what do you think people need to know that maybe if they've not done it before that they could, you know, glean from you? Um, in terms of sizes, there are some weird things uh, in Amazon, like Amazon and uh, Apple they work very differently. And so be sure that you're working with somebody for your interior who knows fonts to use and not to use, because if you are in using a font, particularly for your header that isn't recognized, you'll get weird printed structures. It'll come out looking like, um, computer gibberish. <laughs> yeah. Yep. yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So there's that in terms of sizes, uh, five by five, by eight by five is a typical paperback for nonfiction. Uh -huh. um, a lot of people do five by eight for a fiction paperback. We're starting to play with um, a four by six for like poetry pocketbooks, okay. which are traditional um, mass produced paperbacks that you'll find in like a, a grocery store. You know, the, the smaller ones that I know mm -hmm. I grew up with those, mm -hmm. but um and then a hardcover is typically like a, a six by nine. So from a size perspective, you'll want to keep those things in mind. Um, from a, a numbers page count, 50,000 words is a really good memoir to shoot for, which uh, calculates out to be like less than 200 pages. If you're, in a not, if you're in a fiction book, you really want to keep it to like 250 pages or less. I think we're past the point, particularly for paperback, where people are interested in buying 300 and larger books. And then from a self-publishing perspective, the bigger the book, the more expensive it is to actually print, which means that if you're going back to this price campaign, if you're working on a, a fiction book that the marketplace, um, they're tolerating $15 books, but really on sale for 10, 
and you're writing a 350 page book that's going to cost five bucks to print which is legit that's realistic you're looking at maybe 75 cents a sale by the time everyone's done taking their cut so that is something to consider so here you are as an artistic person and i'm telling you that you've got to write shorter stories and you're probably super mad think about uh, making your book into a series you know and that's not a hard thing to do uh, you've got characters that can you can evolve their story into a second chapter you know in terms of um, uh, a turning point end it give them a cliffhanger and start another book right. if that is a smarter thing to do than to price yourself out of the marketplace and have to pay to have your book sold right Right. Yeah. You don't want to have to pay for it. You want to make a little money off it. You know, I mean, I've heard some like speaker authors say that they wrote a book just so that it could be kind of their glorified business card. And, you know, yeah. they, they give them away or they kind of, you know, set the stage for that to say that they, you know, have authority because they're an author, right. Yeah. Authority and author. I mean, so, so yeah, it does, it does take into consideration, like how much are you going to pay for it? And, you know, what is your intent? What is your purpose? Who is it that's going to read it? Why are they going to read it? What are they going to get out of it? You know, yeah. if it's fiction or nonfiction, right? So looking at your audience and, and then who you want to attract and how you want to attract them and, and kind of going back to before where we said we, if we niche our, our area, then that also kind of translates into the marketing budget so that you can niche on who it is that you want to, to get to buy the book from you. And, and so it kind of just all comes full circle, doesn't it? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And then um, to quickly touch on the um, the shorter books that are being used as calling cards, mm-hmm. definitely our self-published pieces. Um, and we have a page minimum. I want to say our distributor won't publish anything smaller than 65 pages. I, as a publisher, as an indie publisher, I want, I don't want to publish books that are under 100 pages because I, I want to be able to see the see the title and their name on a spine and i i um that's a good point i want to feel proud of the content that i'm producing and publishing and and, um i'm not interested in publishing something that someone is is going to give away for free knowing that there are so many people in this supply chain that um we have to answer to and so Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. If you are publishing something for free, um, just be aware that the retailer takes a cut regardless. Yep. There might be a page minimum depending on what program you're using. So that is definitely something to look at before you start this your project. Well, and the spine real estate is so important when you have, you know, books on the shelf. And if, if you don't have something that can stand out while people are searching through shelves, I mean, either at a library or a bookstore or on, you know, somebody's own bookshelf, if they want to borrow a book, right? If you can't have that spine saying what it is, then you're missing a huge opportunity, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I, um, if, I'm sure there's lots more we could continue to talk about, <laughs> uh, but let's uh, let's just give some final thoughts to our listeners. Um, you know, kind of what you would like to do to maybe inspire them to think about writing a book, and if they could get a hold of you, how you could help them, what you could do, how they could get a hold of you, that kind of thing. So, what's your final thoughts there, Carrie? Well, um, a lot of people that I know start writing their book in their head months or years in advance of actually physically stating out loud, I want to write a book. 
And just that simple act of stating it out loud creates accountability without action. It makes it, you know, public to your friends or whatever. I think the most important thing that you can do as an aspiring author is to get yourself into a writing group or an accountability group. Having a one-on-one coach from, you know, help you is great, but having a supportive community, I think takes it just one step further because the writing process can easily become a very isolating, lonely process. You alone on a couch in a room by yourself with your thoughts. And if you're a fiction writer, you're hanging out with all these imaginary friends without real life people. You need real life people. And so get yourself into an accountability group. Um, we have them. Um, I grew up in the writing space. I've always been in writing groups and they're so incredibly uh, just uh, unconditionally loving. And so um, check out the unapologeticvoicehouse.com. You can get a hold of me there. Um, I'm very accessible on <laughs> uh, Instagram. Clubhouse, if you're in Clubhouse, and Facebook, just the Unapologetic Voice House. Um, and, uh, you know, tap me or message me and let me know what you're up to in the world and how I might be able to support you. And I can definitely point you in the right direction for a program that we have that would fit your needs. Fantastic, Carrie. Thank you. I've certainly enjoyed our journey together and getting to know yeah. you and, and all of the words of wisdom that you get to share. And I'm sure our audience will love what you had to, to say today. So thank you very much. And uh, yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to have you back on, you know, and, and uh, you know, maybe one of these days we'll actually get to meet each other in person someday because, you know, no more COVID, no more pandemic, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Carrie. And uh, for those of you listening, uh, I do hope that you will take advantage of what Carrie has to offer and uh, seek her help if you are looking to write your own book and, uh, and join her community in doing that. And until next time, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Expedition Podcast. Find more online at Peppershock.com. Wouldn't it be great if there was one place you can go to get all the latest information and tips about marketing and advertising? The Marketing Expedition community is that place. People like you gather in our online community to build relationships with others and find the latest marketing trends, tactics, tools, and technology. We help you build your brand and your bottom line. Start your adventure today. Visit themarketingexpedition.com to find out more.